Aspire listeners, I'm coming to you with some bonus material as I have Star Saxstein here with me with an exciting announcement. You will know her from Hacking Assessment. She is an author, blogger, and speaker, and she's completely committed to changing the way we do assessment. So stay with us as we learn about this exciting news. Welcome back, everyone, to Aspire to Lead, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua underscore Stamper. Aspire listeners, I am so jazzed right now because I have the wonderful opportunity to speak to one of my favorite people just in general, not even just educators or someone that knows assessment. Star is with me today. Star, how are you feeling? I am feeling so good, so relaxed up in the mountains today, and really just happy to have this conversation with you, Josh. I'm a little jealous because you're in one of my favorite places too. You're in Colorado. I love it here. (laughs) We just came back two weeks ago from Colorado, and my family, like yours, absolutely loves it. And so the reason I have you on, though, is not to talk about Colorado as much as I'd love to do that, but it's about something that's coming out August 2nd. So do you want to share with the listeners what's, what's about to drop? Sure. So the second edition of Hacking Assessment, which is about seven years in the making now, is coming on Tuesday. And I think what I'm most excited about is that so many of the questions folks have asked me over the years, I had the opportunity to kind of edit into this book and really be able to show my evolution of thinking about this very important topic to me. And It was a great opportunity to get highlight other voices doing a lot of really good things. So like the hack in actions are classroom or district level practitioners and even college level practitioners, because a lot of times folks would be like, you can't do that hacking assessment stuff in college. And yes, you can. So we, you know, I made sure that um, Dr. Susan Bloom's voice was in there as well. She's been, you know, at the forefront of ungrading at the higher ed grouping and i think it's really important for folks who have counted out this whole ungrading movement to see that it's very possible and so many more people are curious now so it's it's really awesome to be able to share some some of the learning a lot more resources a lot of the stuff people have asked me for over the years is in there so it's it's good one i hope (laughs) oh it is i i've already started reading the second edition and i I think the resources, like it already had a lot in the first book, the first edition, but this one just seems to have, like you said, just more to it. It's wonderful. I had a conversation just a week ago with a teacher and they were talking about the subject, right? So the title of your book, Hacking Assessment, 10 Ways to Go Gradeless in a Traditional Grades School. And that's exactly what they're complaining about was I have a traditional model grade book but I don't Mm -hmm. agree with it. I want to change it. So for those folks that are nervous about switching it up and, and not using traditional grades and they're a little bit scared, why would it be a good idea for them to, to make this change? There's a whole lot of stuff tied into it. First of all, we're giving kids more ownership of their learning. We are not labeling that learning every time they submit something to us. I think that when we grade work that students do or grade learning in general, it's very reductive. It takes a lot of the journey and love of learning out of the process, especially if a student feels like they did a really good job and then someone else arbitrarily sort of decides that that's not the truth. It takes the joy 
out of doing the learning if you think ahead of time that you're not capable because you had a teacher who had a particular way of looking at things and in that particular way missed out on all the nuance that was brought to you through the student, you know, through the student learning. And I will say, you know, when I wrote the original hacking assessment, I was a classroom teacher in a New York City public school that was very traditional. And part of the reason why I wrote it the first time was like, we all have our superpowers as teachers. Mine is finding and exploiting loopholes. And so I still had to use the same grade book as what my, you know, my colleagues were using, but I found workarounds to make it work the way that I wanted it to work. A lot of that had to do with getting onto, you know, help calls with their development team and saying like, I don't want to affix a grade to every single thing that I put into this communication. I want to be able to align it to standards. I want more narrative space so that I could really give very constructive feedback in what they're seeing. And I want them to be able to see progress over time instead of just figuring out the calculation and algorithm to get the score that they want at the end of the day. It's always been really important to me that kids love learning in my space. Like our shared space should be a space of joy and challenge and exploration, even in an AP English class. You know, those are all things that can and should happen. So I say... If you need to get on a call with me to figure out a special workaround for whatever system you're using, shoot me an email. I will do my best to help you. (laughs) Oh, most definitely. And Star, you're so gracious about that. Always willing to help anyone that's asking for it. And you brought up the idea of a a student really looking at the grade and trying to maybe work the system of, you know, oh, I want to get an A and and really having that grades mindset. So how do you shift that as a teacher? If If you're trying to build a love for learning but the kids are so focused because they've done it for so many years of a tradition of just how do I do this to get the best grade or is this graded at all? Like I remember as a teacher all the time, first question a kid would ask is, is this graded? I think the first really most important step is to actually have a conversation with them about it. Why are the grades so important? What do they mean to you? What does it mean to get an A? When I ask you to set a goal and your goal is to, you know, do well in this class, whatever that means, Like, let's really break down what you're saying when you say that and have these really frank discussions with with kids, especially if you're working in secondary, they are very mature and they know more than you think. So if you said to them, hey, you know, what is it that you're really needing from this relationship where you're asking me, is it graded? Is that like a should I put more effort into this because it's something you're going to put in the grade book or is it? I need to be extrinsically motivated by something to do it that way. Or is it, this is what I've been trained to believe and I just don't even know there's another way. So, you know, telling them right off, like everything you do counts. Like if we think about what formative assessment is, every time you practice, that's going toward your understanding of the bigger concept later. So just because it's not graded now doesn't mean that down the road, it's not going to be worthwhile for you have done these, you know, steps along the way and really just trying to help them process that. Like you don't need me to validate your work with a score every single time. What you need from me is solid feedback to help you get better. And a score is not going to be feedback that's going to be useful in that way. But me really pinpointing what is working and what needs to change 
will get you to where you want to be. So let's try to even switch the conversation to not is this graded but or does this count, but how is this going to help me achieve the goals I'm setting for myself? And I, I think that once you could get them to see that just because something's not getting a grade doesn't mean that it's any less valuable than something that does. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. One of the chapters I was reading was rebranding assignments as learning experiences. And I just love that idea because so often I feel like, you know, there's already a negative connotation about grades in general with students. And then there's also, you know, other words like homework and things like that. And we use these terms so often that they're already turned off before the assignments even started. So how do you do that as a, as a classroom teacher? How do you rebrand it? And how do you get this mindset shifted, you know, not only on grades, but then also assignments as learning experiences? That's such, it's an important question. And I think so many of us have like, this mindset of what learning looks like in our spaces. I really advocate for getting rid of worksheets. And I'm not saying that all graphic organizers are bad, but I'm saying like that shouldn't be your go-to for every single thing that you're doing in a space. Really trying to get kids to figure out the way they learn best by giving them a variety of different ways of learning. And then so once they can identify what they enjoy, and what helps them demonstrate their learning best, then the way you can co-construct different kinds of learning together becomes a much more collaborative process. And for me, it was moving away from traditional assessment and moving towards project-based learning, problem-based learning, um, really giving a lot of voice and choice to kids in the how and the what of what they were trying to demonstrate. And even things like I started doing research after a while, like what's some cool stuff? I had a group of kids really into performing. Like I'm not a drama teacher, I never was, but like they have some cool stuff in drama that you could bring into a classroom, like tableaus. Um, I was talking to somebody about this the other day because one of my students mentioned it in her video. Like, how do you talk about theme in a text when you're not allowed to talk at all? So like giving them opportunities to express their ideas in different ways and different ways like that might feel uncomfortable at first or something that they wouldn't have thought of that ends up becoming something they really enjoy. So like, you know, instead of just reading Hamlet, what can we do to really immerse them in that experience? Long are the days that I stopped like doing research on what other people said was correct and how you teach these texts to other people because I feel like if if I'm selling there's one right answer, then that's shutting off a lot of different readings of what's going on. And just because a scholar hasn't written about it yet doesn't mean it's any less viable if a student comes up with something that they could make a case for in the text and makes it a lot more interesting for us to watch all of it instead of having to assess the same assignment over and over and over oh, and over. Yeah. yeah, I actually, you said Hamlet and it brought me back. One of my one of my favorite high school teachers was actually a Shakespeare class. And mm -hmm. it was because he did all these different projects instead of us just having to sit down and do worksheets and get tested at the end of the unit. He was so passionate about the work. It, it made me think about project-based learning and then also that reflection process. So, so often, and, and this was how it was growing up, was we would just 
do a unit and then we move on and we wouldn't even look back at anything really and we didn't retest or reassess it at all it was just move on to the next thing as quickly as possible so you know why is it so important for our students to go through that reflection process for me reflection is so important for kids to really see their growth um and also to develop a vocabulary for self-advocacy more importantly i think when you take that time to really think about yourself through a learning process like the metacognitive piece the self-assessment piece is the end part where you're looking at the rubric or you're looking at whatever the success criteria is and you're determining how well you did the reflection piece is the you know what was i asked to do how well did i achieve it what were my steps what were my challenges what would i do differently next time and really trying to get them to start connecting the dots like you know in my in the last unit i was able to set this goal for myself i was able to demonstrate through this learning experience that i was coming along on that particular goal if you look at this particular spot of my work that i'm very proud of like it, it gives them an opportunity to tell us things that we don't necessarily see in the work. And I think that that's one of the biggest, biggest short, short-sighted things about regular assessment is we are making decisions all the time about what's important in our curriculum. First, someone else made that decision with what we had to teach and then what we decide to teach in our classroom. And then again, what we decide to assess all of those things you know tend to be different in a lot of classrooms so kids might really take a shine to one piece of something that we did and then we never give them an opportunity to explore that deeper and they study for the test and they think they're knowing everything that they need to know and then that piece is not even on it so like how is that fair to that student who did put in the effort who did put in the time and learned a lot just didn't learn what we decided was important for that particular experience so reflection is also this other opportunity for them to tell us what we don't see like and and on the flip side in terms of assessment for learning now we also have a much better idea of how do i I adjust instruction how do i adjust my feedback so that they're getting really differentiated constructive feedback that's going to help them grow in the areas they decided were important so it, it works on both sides for them to see themselves as learners and for us to be able to instruct them better awesome so Star, if someone is listening right now and they're, you know, because it's summertime, folks are getting their classrooms ready, they're looking at the curriculum, and if someone is right now charged to say, okay, I'm going to switch up my traditional system of grading, what is mm-hmm. it that they need to do to maybe, you know, throw out their grade book, uh, look at their rubrics? I mean, what are some first steps that they can do to make this shift? I would say the first thing you can do with students is stop grading everything. It's really easy to do to just stop and be really clear about that from the beginning. Have these kinds of conversations with them. In terms of your grade book, so many of these online platforms that folks have now, and um, full disclosure, I work for a company that has a progress tracking tool called the Mastery Book. We don't call it a grade book because you're not putting grades in, you're tracking mastery on particular standards or competencies depending on what you're doing. And kids have multiple opportunities to do that. So. You know, I would even start with your language when you're talking about learning with your students and how you talk about um, being successful in the class, like the language that you use around that is really, really, really important. 
taking out really negative kinds of language and really trying to use language of success and asset based sort of like get to know them really well, then make your adjustments. It's not a bad thing to have your curriculum kind of outlined before you go into the classroom, but I would say don't do what I did in the beginning and have lesson plans for the first month and a half of school prepared before you even meet your kids, because there's a good chance that's going to be a lot of wasted time and energy. Because once you meet your kids and you find out, oh, they're, they either aren't where I thought they'd be when I got started, or this group of kids isn't really going to take, you know, if, if we want to really get them excited about coming to this class, that first unit that you, you spend with them creating memories, making relationships and having all of these happen, you want them to go home raving to their parents about this class that they went to today. Or if you're in elementary school, be so excited to come back to school tomorrow because you've created an environment that they really want to be in. And, you know, so much of that focus on curriculum is not as important as focus on relationships and understanding what strengths kids are bringing to the classroom that will help make that environment, you know, unique to them. All right, Stars. So I want to look back in your journey, right? So when you were in the classroom, you started to make this shift, this change within the grading realm. What was something that you learned the hard way that you're like, you know what? Everyone should not do this because it did not work. So there's a lot of things, unfortunately, that (laughs) were that way. I would say part of the culture of a traditional space is you become a target. When you do anything that's super innovative um, and administration catches wind, parents catch wind prior to your comfort with sharing what's going on, I think you end up wanting to shut the door and just do it your own way because you don't want that target. And and I definitely had a target um, on my back. That isn't to say that my colleagues didn't think what I was doing was really good for kids. They saw very positive things coming out of my space, but they didn't want to be expected to do what I was doing. Other things too is even like when I started doing student-led conferences in lieu of just grading for report cards, it took me a long time to find the system that I mentioned in hacking assessment where I found ways to shave time and really be intentional about how I used the limited time and resources that I had so that every child had an opportunity to have that conversation with me. And that's something I'm diving deeper into. As a matter of fact, I'm working on another book for ASCD right now, specifically about student-led conferences and portfolios and that's one area of hacking assessment where I kind of graze the surface sure. where I will be going much deeper um, into those two areas later because a lot of people ask me about that too. How do you get your kids to talk so well about what they know and can do? And so much of that is about transparency. So that's another thing I would really advocate for. Like if you're confused about something and you're, you're like unsure, instead of trying to be the authority, open it up to your space. Tell the kids, hey, I'm struggling with this. I want to know what's going to be the best way to approach it. And your input is really valuable to me. So like even having that back and forth. And I think that that's another big mistake that I made. I tried to do it all by myself. It's also how I found Twitter and all the other people that I found doing this great work also. (laughs) A lot of times you really do end up being the only person in your school leading the charge. So the more people you can invite into that process with you, just don't be afraid of what they'll think. Make the mistakes, make them often, make them publicly, 
be transparent about them and then work through that reflective process. You know, it's, it's scarier to think about the mistakes you might make than the mistakes you actually will make. Of course. And yeah. then, you know, admitting them and kind of trying to find a way to climb out of it is the best learning experience you can really have. Most definitely. So if anyone is looking to make a shift, make a change to the way that they assess, this is a fantastic resource. So make sure you're checking it out. Hacking Assessment, 10 Ways to Go Gradeless in a Traditional Grade School. And it is releasing... August second, and it'll be on. It'll be on Amazon. Um, the second edition. Make sure you get the second edition, not the first edition. Not that the first edition's not great, but the second one. Like I said, it also brings in a lot of leadership stuff yeah. as well. So if you need people in your building to support you on this journey, I tried to make sure there were tips in there for that as well. Awesome. Well, I'm going to have the link in the show notes, so you will make sure that you are getting the second edition because, like we said, it has additional resources in there. Phenomenal text, so make sure that you're picking that up. Also, Star was on the Aspire to Lead podcast a while back, and we were talking about the book and assessment in general terms, so uh, make sure that you're checking out that episode because if you're interested in making a shift in your classroom, I think anything that Star's providing is, is definitely words of wisdom. So make sure you check out that episode. And then of course, Star, if they want to connect with you on social media, how can they do that? Um, at Miss Axine on Twitter. I am pretty good about getting back to folks. You could also email me at Miss Axine at Gmail. And, you know, I'm on Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn. If you search for Star Saxine, there aren't two of me. All right. And I'll have all those in the show notes also. Star, it is always such a joy to speak with you. I am so excited for this launch and I'm going to be posting on my social media outlets frantically to make sure that everyone understands that this is now out, the second edition to Hacking Assessment. And I just appreciate your time so much. Thanks so much, Josh. I appreciate yours too.